Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Ready to pop the question and take advantage of 30% off? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com to get 30% off. Select lab-grown diamonds. That's BlueNile.com for 30% off lab-grown diamonds. BlueNile.com. Hello there and welcome to the all new, brand new, shiny, sparkly on the box podcast hosted by me, uh, Stuart Bridson. You might recognise me from the incredibly successful multi-award winning AI comic pod. We've had a bit of a change of direction because uh, Neil and Simon have had to go their own separate ways. I think if I remember rightly, Simon's working on a film deal and Neil's gone back to his first love of um, West End theatre. So we wish them both all the best for the future, and we are going to try and get them on over the the coming weeks and months as and when we're able to. Uh, it's th- there's been a bit of a, a bit of a crime has happened on on the box so far. We haven't actually had a Game of Thrones podcast, and we've had literally two people mention this. One of them being Gags. So as a result of that, we've decided new beginning. Why don't we go back? We're going to look at seasons one and season two of Game of Thrones. And I've got two very special guests with me. I don't know if they're making their on-the-box debuts, but they're certainly making their on-the-box with me debuts, so I'm going to count that as a win. So we've got two Joes. First of all, we've got Mr. Joseph Connors. How are you doing? I am good, Stu, and this is my debut on on-the-box. Excellent. That's So we're going to have to go by surnames now. So this is Connors, and we've now got other Joe, Mr. Joseph Cousins. How are you doing? Hey man, I'm good. I'm good. This is my uh, second appearance. Oh, um, sophomore. Yeah. They, they they be with you though. So ah, yeah. well, that's what matters. <laughs> it's all about going forward. And we we were supposed to be having gags on, but uh, he very politely declined um, and thought he, he'd sit this one out because we were concerned that if we got four people sit down talking about Game of Thrones, we're pretty much going to break some kind of a record for talking. We could easily be doing this for two, three hours. So we're, we're just going to break it up. We'll do one and two now. In another couple of weeks, we're going to try and do three and four, and then we'll do five and six, just to make it a little bit more digestible. So what what I've done is I've, I've split up season one into what I, what I think are going to be the major themes. So starting with you then, tell you what, we'll go Cousins first. The first theme I came up with, to do with lineage and succession. So we... In season one, there's so much happens. You're introduced to 
dozens and dozens and dozens of new characters. And we start seeing all these, you know, all the families start stepping out. And in amongst all the chaos, you've got Joffrey's rapid and frankly undeserved ascension to the throne. Um, and I also noted down, you've got Rob um, assuming his new title of the King in the North. Anything, anything you want to add that you've picked up from, you know, in, in a lineage sense from the first season? It's so chaotic, isn't it? I mean, usually um, when you watch these sort of medieval shows, that the the, the 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 lineage to the throne is usually quite straightforward. You know, first you know firstborn son or firstborn child is is usually well, firstborn son is usually you know um, the person that that um, that, that that ascends, um, re- you know, regardless of his character or anything like that. That's usually how it, how it works. Um, with Game of Thrones, they, they, they throw so many curveballs into it, um, especially with the, um, you know, the, um, the, the, the Cersei's and, and, and Jamie relationship. And then rumor, um, that sort of turns into, to, to be in fact that, um, you know, the, the, the children, Robert's children are not really his children. So that, that just throws a whole spanner in the works and, and, um, obviously war that that sort of comes out out of out of that between you know the the, the north and the south sort of again throws it into into chaos so you've got many factions fighting for what they they, they see as their um you know their their, their rightful place and obviously you've got um Viserys <laughs> um looking to um you know do his thing um it it way beyond and um claim rightfully what he believes to be his, his rightful um, place as well so all over a bit all over the place but you know but f- fascinating at the same time yeah connor's anything to add um with i mean with joffrey he's he's perfect for the show he obviously should not be king um it actually should be stannis i believe because he's the um you know he would be the next in line after robert dies those yeah. kids are obviously not Robert, none of those three of the, uh, Jamie and Cersei's kids are not Roberts. So Joffrey is great for the show though, because everybody's just waiting for him to die. Everybody he's a, wants he's a brilliant villain, isn't he? I think he, even, even George R. R. Martin said to him one time, he, he was the perfect villain because everyone hated him. And like exactly as you've just said, people were willing him to die every single episode. Yeah, he was absolutely perfect for it. He, you know, I had a different perspective when I started this. I read the books before I knew the song. Ah, the, you're one of those. Yeah, before the before the show came out. And that was half like, oh, man, I don't want them to ruin this. And I, I got to say, the books are great. They're always better, right? But yeah. this show has done a huge, huge justice to those books. And I think George R. R. Martin, credit to him, you know, he stepped aside. You know, he, I think he's written, I think the first two seasons, he only wrote two of those episodes in 20. Really? So it's pretty, yeah, he, he wrote uh, The Pointy End, and I can't remember, uh, you know what, Blackwater. He actually wrote Blackwater because he wanted to get that perfect. But, yeah, Joffrey's the perfect villain there. And Rob is the King of the North, I think that's a really cool, somebody has to be the King of the North at that point. I mean, we'll talk about Ned later on. Somebody had to take control up there, and I actually like Rob Stark before, again, we'll get to what happens to him, but yeah. before it, demise i should say but i like the character a lot yeah snap uh, just just going back to joffrey the kid that plays him is actually retired from from acting I, I think he's only young he might only be about i think he was 19 when he retired from acting because he, he he sort of he came out and said that he, he didn't think that acting was his real true love you know it was just a job and he did it and it was okay and but i wonder if part of that is just the, the sheer vitriol of of hate 
aimed at him over a character he played? Because, I mean, it, it must be enough, mustn't it, to, to put you off if people are constantly sending you messages telling you that they want your character to die and that he's a horrible <laughs> bastard and all kinds of things. Yeah, I think that's... Uh, you can look at it that way. You can look at it like... I did hear that he retired, but can can you get a better role? Can you do a better job than he did? He's basically going out on top like Michael Jordan, you know? What yeah, I mean? pretty much anything he does after this is probably going to be a step down in yeah. terms of you know the, the scale of things. He he's not going to go out and get a you know a multi million pound film deal, is he? No, uh, no, no. That role was absolutely perfect for him. Yeah. So it, it uh, as as cousin said before. It, I, I like to relate. I was obsessed with medieval things when I was in school. I loved it. So to me, this is quite an easy thing to get into. And like you said, succession used to be so easy. There was a king. He had children. If he had daughters, he kept going until he had a son. When he died, his son took over. But when they start throwing in incestuous offspring and, and bastards, and then you've got Robert dies, and then he's got not one but two brothers who both claim that they're the rightful heir, then you've got the displaced Targaryens who technically have got more, you know, that they are the rightful owners, aren't they? They should be um, king or, well, it should be queen, shouldn't it? Because it's Daenerys who's, who's next in line. No, no, it's Viserys, isn't it? It's Viserys. Yeah, it is. And, and, and they, sh- they should be on the throne, but of course they've had to leave for safety and all the rest of it. And it gets so confusing. But at the same time, if it was straightforward, it would be boring. That's the whole reason, isn't it? That it is massively convoluted and massively confusing with all these warring factions and speaking of warring factions the next thing arguably one it might even be considered to be the strongest theme of the whole show is family every single episode has got some level of of family drama going on so in in the first season we've got Viserys is using and abusing uh, Daenerys solely to get an army he doesn't care that he's basically hoard out his sister to a warmonger, uh, to to a savage group, you know, a savage tribe. Because all he cares about is he's going to get an army to go back and claim his throne. They have the very, very first hints. Is it in the first or the second episode of Jon Snow's real parentage? Which to me, as a non, I've never read the books, so to me that was sort of like, oh, oh, okay. When when you get back, we'll we'll talk about your mother. Okay, there must be a story there, and I didn't know about all the the theories about what we now know until about 12, 18 months ago. So at least season four, before I started really reading into this, then one, one of the huge subtexts of this whole season is Robert's bastard children. So that the, the slight sense of, of irony that his actual children, in inverted commas, are nothing to do with him, but he's got bastard children littered up and down the entire country who might, who would have had a more rightful claim to the throne than Joffrey or Tommen. Um, and then another within the family sort of heading that I've done, the first signs of the hostility towards Tyrion. So th- there's a lot of positivity in, in certain families, like the Starks seem so together and so, so tightly knit. Then you've got the Lannisters and obviously Jamie and Cersei are more than a little bit, uh, tightly knit, a little bit too close. But then you've got nothing but un- unbridled hatred towards Tyrion, who they and their father blame for the death of their mother. And of course, it's nothing to do with him. It's to do with the fact that this is 
medieval primitive technology and medical care where women frequently died in childbirth because there was nothing they could do about it. So we'll we'll flip it this time. Connor's anything to add on on family? Any major major talking points for you? Yeah, I'll start with Viserys. I think you that was right on right on the money there. I mean, he is literally whoring his sister out to get a Dothraki a Dothraki army, and it's hysterical. He acts like such a badass the whole time, and you know the irony is is his sister is the badass. I mean, look at her. She's maybe the best if if she's definitely one of if not the best character in, in this whole series, including books. But I mean, his demise in I think it's episode six, the Golden Crown, where Cal yes. Drogo just pours the the uh, molten gold on his head to give him his gold crown, is just an awesome death scene. So it's just really cool. You don't see stuff like that all the time on TV. So it's really cool. Yeah, Robert's bastard children. You know, that's a funny story behind that. I mean, I think the only one who's actually in the show that they talk about is Gendry. And uh, he's and just fucked off, hasn't he? He's, he's yeah. got in a rowboat in, what, season four and has never been seen since. Yeah, it's crazy. It's almost like he's just out of the show. I, I, I mean, I guess he's probably don't really need him much anymore. But, you know, remember, he was a big part when they were traveling to the wall with Arya. Yeah, yeah he was, was a, a huge character. part of Arya's arc. Yeah, he was a huge – and that's why he just disappeared. So that was a little strange. But I guess right now where the show's at, he's kind of not needed. But I, it'd be nice at least to – I mean, he was a skilled blacksmith. I mean, he's the guy. He kid had some talent with him. I mean, and again, he was Robert Baratheon, one of his sons. And if you remember too, when I think it was, um, damn, was it Stannis and the Red? Uh, when he remember when he professed to the Red God, then the word got to he released about basically telling every kingdom that Joffrey, you know, that was an incestuous relationship. Yeah. Well, your king is now. Hey, this is. So then they went and turned. I think it was the Gold Cloaks. Was it the Gold Cloaks who turned around and started killing all of um, Robert Baratheon's other children that they didn't really show? They just showed them getting murdered. Yeah, which is crazy in itself. Um, that so I mean, that, was, that was like that was very hard to watch, wasn't it? When you were seeing, yeah. they were breaking into brothels and they were just murdering babies. You obviously never saw it, but it's very implied aggression and violence, and it's very very uncomfortable watching. But it's what happened in those days, and it's what would have happened if anyone felt that a previous king had left children who potentially could have disposed the the current reigning king or queen, isn't it? It would have happened, because that's just what happened in those times. Yeah, and I mean, the, the, the show was called Game of Thrones. It's like a big chessboard, people knocking each other off left and right. You know, I'm sure we'll talk about um, Peter Baelish, too, but... You know, he's like the ultimate snake, and he plays a huge part in that as well. Yeah, he does. Um, let's tag in Mr. Cousins. Anything anything you want to say about the, the family aspect of uh, the first season? I think, well, the first, first um, family that resonated with me was the Starks, obviously. Just, you know, it, when the, the season begins, they just they seem to be sort of the, the, cent, the center of the show. Um, they've got it all together. You've got Ned, who's, you know, very noble. Um, you're introduced to the entire family. You've got the links with the 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 the, the wolves as well, um, and it seems to me that you know they are sort of the the, the center of the program. Obviously, at, you know when you're watching it to begin, if you don't know how that season's going to end, <laughs> um, it, that, that family goes through so much tragedy. And from season one, you, I, well, me me in particular, just speaking for myself, I, I just tend to root for them. 
and you just hope that they're going to get revenge somehow and everything's going to sort of work out all right. But it's from season to season that that, that, that just doesn't happen. Um, and then the Lannisters are extremely interesting, especially when you see the first scene of the actual incest taking place. Yeah. Um, Bran getting pushed off the balcony um, by, by, by Jamie. Um, it just sort of really fascinating from there. Um, I must say though that the, um, the, the stuff around Rob's, um, um, Robert Baratheon's, um, bastard children and, and the, the, the link with Jon Snow just went, com- that went completely over my head until quite recently, actually. Um, the, the link with, with, with Jon Snow anyway. Um, I had to literally go back and look at, you know, sort of, um, sites and, and, and sort of video clips from previous, um, episodes to sort of link the, 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 um, link the two, the, the sort of the, the lineage between the two. So yeah, um, really interesting when you sort of add, add sort of the, 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 the pieces together after so many, so many episodes and so many series. It's, it's, it's great writing from that aspect. Um, when, when you can do that. Just touching on sort of what we were talking about earlier with regards to, to you know, to, to Rob's, well, what we think are his children and then end up not being. What strikes me is, is, is being sort of really interesting is that nobody in, in King's Landing tends to actually take, um, the thing seriously, that, that the incest thing, that, the, 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 the fact that the children are, you know, actually, um, <laughs> born of incestual um a- a- adulthood um adultery sorry um that is not really taken seriously and you know if if something like that happens you you'd think that you know immediately the family would become weak and that it would sort of implode in their face but that that never happens so it just goes to show how sort of clever cleverly the Lannisters play it where something like that can happen people know about it but still um they remain in power yeah i mean that <laughs> The way you've worded that, you, you could easily say, couldn't you, that you could see that as being a weakness of the right and of, well, how come nobody's questioned it? But exactly as you say, they style it out so well. They have got so much power and so much reach that they can get away with absolutely anything. And people are either, they, they've either drunk the Kool-Aid and they believe anything they say, or they are so afraid of what they could do if they do challenge them that they think, you know what, it's just easier to go along with this or my head's going to be on a pike somewhere. And, yeah, it the, the family, um, it, going back to the Starks, I'm the same as you, I always root for the Starks because from episode one, they seem to be the family that has been wronged the most. Every single member of the family has been shit on over and over and over again. And now you get to the point where you've got the kids left, no parents, they don't know which of their siblings are left. I mean, nobody knows what's happened to Bran, do they? Bran's disappeared. So, I mean, I'm not even sure if in the later seasons, if Arya knows that, that Sansa is still alive. You know, that, that for all they know, they are the last remaining Stark and they're potentially waking up every day thinking, well, I'm the last one of my family. So I, I'm exactly the same. I always want the Starks to come out on top. But if we, if we skip forward a little bit to the, what I've titled The Uncovered Truths, another quite a heavy theme running through the whole first season. There's a lot of shit has gone on before we pick up the first episode of the show. There's a lot of stuff that's gone on that they don't, they don't really explain, do they? they? They trickle feed it through over the six seasons where they start showing you things that have happened, 
you know, days, weeks, months, years before the, you know, the, the show starts. So the, the first major thing that we pick up in the first season is the death of John Aaron, because that happens, ve- is that first episode that it's, that, that, that gets introduced? Because that's why Robert comes to Winterfell, yeah. isn't it? Yes, that's why he gets called down. Yeah, so you, you have the, the death of John Aaron, which, which hits Ned really, really hard. And that, that's a little bit suspicious because there was nothing wrong with him, but he was, we then find out that he was asking the wrong questions, wasn't he? Then you've got the death of King Robert again. Just as, as he's starting to pull himself away from the Lannisters, all of a sudden he's in a, quote, hunting accident, unquote, <laughs> where he just happens to have been imbibing wine for days and days and days, and then nobody thought, you know what, maybe we should tell the king to sober up before he goes out with a deadly weapon hunting giant pigs. But of course, it's all fine. Um, then you've got the, it sort of links back to the, uh, to the family and the lineage. You've got the Baratheon children all turn out to be a product of incest. And you've got that brilliant scene where Ned starts looking back through the, I don't know what, it's like some sort of giant almanac, isn't it? Of, of kings and, and queens and all the kids. And he suddenly goes, hang on. Baratheons have always had dark hair. Lannisters have always had blonde hair. And yet now we've got a bunch of Baratheons with blonde hair. Hmm. And then the, the, the little light goes on in the back of his head and all of a sudden, shit, he realises what's happened. Um, and then, again, another harking back, Robert's bastard children. That is, that's been buried so long. I mean, it, it's probably twofold, isn't it? He's not wanted to piss off Cersei by her realising that he's got other kids elsewhere that could challenge the throne. But also, it's not a very good thing if the king is known to be a massive philander, is it? If it's known that the king has been whoring himself up and down, King's Landing kind of throws him in a in a negative light. So we'll we'll go back to Mister Cousins first uh, for this one. Uncovered truths? Anything to anything that's especially grabbed you? Yeah, was, what sort of grabbed me was just what you were mentioning, really, with regards to um to, to Ned as he's piecing things together, as he's sort of going through um, the history of of, of the lineage. As he's, you know, speaking to people, he has rumors, you know, um, there's that there's, you know, there's these sort of bits and pieces of episodes where he's just piecing these things together and you sort of, you're worried about him as a viewer. Well, from my perspective anyway, because he doesn't seem to be for me to be really careful with the information that he's receiving. And I can't believe that he just sort of, uses it immediately to sort of expose or threaten Cersei. Um, I never thought that that was going to go well, especially with, um, with, with Rob. And I must say with, with, with Baratheon, one of the, probably one of the, the critical, well, what I'd, I'd sort of used to criticize the writing with, with Rob. I always wondered how on earth this character got in a position where he was, he was king, where all he, all you saw him do was sort of drink wine and, and, and look to be a philanderer. Um, even the way he, he got killed, you know, it, it just seemed to be so easy, um, him being set up, taking a hunting trip and coming back at death's door <laughs> and then and basically leaving Ned in the shit. Um, just sort of resonated with me as, as, as being a bit of a pathetic king that, you know, you've, you've, um, you've, you've met your demise so easily when surely you had a lot about you to actually reach that position in the first place. But, um, but yeah, that's, uh, the, the, that uncovered truth about just the, the bastard children, really, and Ned piecing that together, and the way he sort of used it, you know, to just to sort of um, ex- expose the Lannisters 
Um, I think, yeah, I think he was a bit silly there. I think he just could have been a bit more clever in, in, in how he actually sort of exposed that truth. Yeah, it, it's, it was a bit gung-ho, wasn't it? I mean, he, he's not a stupid guy. He's a very clever guy. And he knows what the Lannisters are like. He knows that they will do anything to, to get their own way and to keep something like that buried. So it doesn't really make sense that he just goes straight to Cersei thinking that she's going to back down or or bend over and give him you know, whatever he wants to keep it quiet. It, yeah, it, it's a bit... And, and I know what you mean about, about Robert as well. It, that That's one thing that I really wish they would have done a flashback so we could have seen him because you... Yeah. From reading articles, I, I can't remember if they've ever really said it in the show, but they go on about what an incredible warrior he was, and they they have the there's a really vivid picture is painted of when he kills Rhaegar, and he he, he swings his hammer and he he crushes him and it sends his I think it's rubies uh, from his armor strewn across this marshland uh, marshland, and you just sort of think, but look at him, how could he possibly <laughs> have been a good warrior? And, and a worthy king when he's that much of a mess. Exactly. And I think, isn't there an element that a lot of people wanted Ned to do it? Because Ned led the rebellion, didn't he? But he led it on Robert's behalf. Yeah. And Ned sort of seems to be a little bit too humble where maybe he probably was suitable to be king, but he's just so humble that he doesn't ever see himself as being in that position to, you know, to be on a pedestal above anyone else, which is a shame because poor old Sean Bean, he was built up in the first season. He was the poster child. He was on every advert and then, you know, he, he doesn't see more than, what, maybe seven or eight episodes before he's gone. It's probably the, the biggest shock for me in TV was his demise. Snap. I couldn't believe it. I, I, I was just waiting for the, um, you know, for, for, for him to be saved at the last minute. Yeah, just waiting and waiting and waiting, and then this the sword just comes down, chop. That's it. I think hold in a minute. What? And it's the first time. It's the first you sort of get an inkling of um of of the author's writing. Um, definitely, definitely doesn't go the way of 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 a lot of the other medieval writers in in the fact that you get happy endings. No happy endings with this guy. Oh God, no, no, no. <laughs> I, I, I know, I know what you mean because I I didn't watch the first season until. The second season had finished, so I watched them back to back. Yeah. And I couldn't believe that they killed off Ned because I was like, every single advert I've seen, whether it's TV or in print or even online, has all been Sean Bean's giant face, winter is coming, and you've killed him off. But like you say, it, it sets your expectation, doesn't it? You think, well, you know what? If he wasn't safe, then nobody is safe. Nobody, now. yeah, you exactly. Just, just don't get attached to anyone in this show because you will get hurt. You but you still don't you still don't really learn your lesson. Well I didn't either because I then latched on to Rob yeah. with the old <laughs> revenge with the old revenge story. Um I, I I watch a lot of Kung Fu films and you always get the revenge the revenge story always holds true. Yeah. Um, in those films. Um so I sort of latched on to Rob as being, yep, the king in the north, he's gonna, you know, raise his armies and and ultimately get revenge. Uh, uh, uh. That doesn't yeah. happen either. Like you say, you never learn. The show's always there to bite you on the arse. Absolutely. So, uh, over to you, Mr. Connors. You've been very quiet. Uh, uncovered truths for you. I was letting you gentlemen get all that out. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think for um, the book, and if you guys ever get a chance to read them, you should. But they do talk about what you guys were touching on a little bit there, about Robert's background. He was quite the warrior. To kill... You know, the Mad King, like he did, was quite a feat. Um, but he just, 
you know, he got, unfortunately, he was the demise of what a lot of men are, and that's alcohol. So, yeah. you know, alcohol and women, that's all he wanted at that point. He probably obviously married the wrong woman. But, and as far as uh, the death of John Aaron, that was, uh, that was Lysa who actually poisoned him. But, and we, I said this guy's name already, that was at the, that was because of Littlefinger. That was Littlefinger at his behest. That's who set that up. Yeah. He's always playing those back channels. He's great at that. But that's how, I mean, John Aaron, that's how, I think that's what Ned Stark finally figures out. And then that's why it leads to his demise. But yeah, the, the surprise of his death, unfortunately, was not a surprise for me because I read the books. I mean, they, they started to get away from the books because they kind of ran out of material after I think it was season five. So season six is all new material. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's a really cool thing. Like the nice guy doesn't always win. You know, many times in real life, the bad guy wins. So even though you later see Joffrey's demise, it's just Cersei is that person who's always there. She's always there. She's at the head of everything evil. Yeah. All of her kids, her ex-husband, Robert Baratheon, everything evil that happens, even though she goes through all that stuff, which she goes later, we won't talk about later seasons, she is still, she has a bounce back ability like none other. She's always on top, isn't she? No pun intended. It's, that's true. And she is. She is always on top. Even when she loses, she still manages to win in some other avenue. So she loses all of her children. You know, she loses her husband, but she still always manages to, like you say, the bounce back ability. Whenever she suffers a setback, there's always something else just a little bit further down the road, which will pick her back up. And she, she potentially, she must be one of the, the perennial survivors, no matter what happens. To everyone around her, she's okay to a degree. She's upset. She's, you know, she's got battle scars and mental scars and all the rest of it, but she's alive. She's still in a position of privilege. She's still mighty close to the throne. She's never been out completely ousted and thrown on the streets and what have you. And even when she is taken away from that position, she always finds a way back in. And yeah. she, she's a yeah. fascinating character. She's, she's the ultimate matriarch, probably, isn't she? She she will do anything for her children and for her family, but above anything else, she will do anything to keep a silver spoon in her own mouth. Oh, no question. Yeah, she will step on anybody she has to, obviously including her own family. To get oh, she- absolutely. Yeah, she will and use I, anyone as a stepping stone. Yeah, and I think that's what makes her such a great character. But there's the whole show is littered with characters like that, and that's what makes the show so different. And I mean, it it's just amazing to have. George R. R. Martin's brain, like, where does he come up with all this stuff? I mean, there's been other stuff before. Lord of the Rings, a lot of characters, uh, all kind of different shows that have many characters. But the depth of his characters is what separates the show from everything else. Yeah, it, it, it's insane. I, I've often thought that when I, I sit down, because I've only read half of the first book. I just, I just can't, I can't now go back and read the books because when I'm reading, I'm watching it in my head. And mm-hmm. it just ruins it. I can't get engrossed now because I'm just watching, you know, the start. The, the first time that it happened was when you've got the, in the very first episode, you've got all the Stark children running around. So you've got Bran is on the balcony watching John and Rob sword fighting. And you've got Arya running around being a little tomboy. And in my head, I'm trying to paint my picture. But instead of painting the picture, I'm just rewatching the scene from the show. So I, I went into a lot of these things with no expectation. But now I go back and I'm reading articles about, you know, Robert's Rebellion and um, the Dance of the Dragons and things that happened hundreds and thousands of years before. And like you just said, I'm constantly thinking, how does he do this? How does he come up with 
not just the characters, but the lineage of the characters, the mythology of this entire world going back thousands and thousands of years. And he's also planning X number of years ahead. And he's got character development for even the tiniest, tiniest bit part character. He's got every single avenue of their life worked out, written from birth to death, including marriage, betrayal, tragedy, and, and everything else that happens along the way. He's an incredibly talented guy. And it's just sad knowing that he will probably die before the show finishes because his, his work output is so slow. Mm-hmm. And, and like you said, they've already overtaken now, haven't they? And he's, you can tell his health is in a bad way. The fact that he's had to go to the, the, the show's creators, Dan and Dave, I think it is, and tell them what the end point is. He knows, doesn't he, what his final pin in the map is. And he's told them how he plans to get to it. But they've obviously got the creative license to go to it a different way. So long as they end up with this is, this is his final, final dream. Because he must be worried that he's not going to get the the books out. Yeah, he has mentioned that before. I've actually heard him say his hardest thing is not writing the books. His hardest thing is not writing them so long to where you can't put them out and it's only one book because he gets fixated on characters and just writes and writes and writes. Like there's some – I mean it's a shame. You can't put every character in a in the book into the show. But there are a few characters who are awesome in the book who are never going to be in the show. I don't want to ruin too much, but one that I really was really looking forward to to be in the show, and she's not, is one Lady Cat, obviously Ned's wife, when she, and I guess you guys cut this out if I can or cannot say this, when she dies, yeah. she, she becomes Lady Stoneheart, and it is such a cool character, and the way she comes about. Yeah. And I, and I understand why, again, you can't put all that in there. But it is a really cool character to read, and her chapters are just really awesome. It is a shame. She was one of those that started being mentioned in fan theories, and I went and read about her. And I was really hoping that they were going to do it, because anyone who hasn't read it, we, w- we won't discuss it now because it's, it's in a later series, but anyone who hasn't read about it, go and read about who Lady Stoneheart is and what happens, why she comes back, and what she's like when she comes back, and then just imagine what that would be like on the screen with the way it's shot and with the the really dark and murky approach they take. I mean, they're they're not afraid to go there, are they? They've they've done necromancy, they've done incest. There is Mm. gallons and gallons of blood. So there's nothing that they could do, really, that's going to be too taboo. So she would have been a brilliant character. And even though I've not read her, I was disappointed that they didn't bring her in because it would have been so good to to introduce that level of I don't know it's it's a very dark magic isn't it to to bring that in but in a way we've sort of got a little tip of the hat with what they've done with um with the mountain but not yep. not to the same degree uh moving on uh, the, the last major theme that I've got was it, I actually felt like a bit of a hippie when I wrote this one down but it was one of rebirth. The the major thing for me that happens towards the end of the season is Daenerys' rebirth. She 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 starts off the season as this young, timid, abused, very heavily manipulated girl being just tossed around by Viserys. Viserys you get the impression that Viserys has always been lording over the fact that he should be king and that he's going to do this and he's going to do that. And she's just got to go along with what he says. 
Otherwise, you know, she's going to get the back of his hand or worse. And then towards the end of the season, she's she's been sold into, uh, she's been given away really to to the Dothraki to Cal Drogo. She's managed to get into his good into his good graces. She's managed to turn slavery into actual love and into an actual marriage. Then she suffers the loss of him. Then she reinvents herself again. She then becomes the Khaleesi. She then leads the Dothraki. But the big rebirth moment for me is when she emerges from the fire and you actually think, shit, there's something about this girl. Because in the first episode when you see her, like, I think she's, she's bathing in milk or something and she's getting ready for, to meet Cal Drogo. And she, she looks really timid, really, really down and browbeaten, like the whole world is against her. And then you see her stepping out of a fire where she's just burned her husband with three dragons on her back. And you're like, yeah, th- there's something about this girl. She's going to go places. She's going to do something incredible. And with every passing season, she has got better and better and better. Thrown in with that, you've also got the rebirth of the dragons. Dragons have been extinct for, correct me on this one, hundreds or even thousands of years. And some people don't even believe that dragons really existed. They think it was all just myths, wasn't it? You know, peddled to make the Targaryens look better and, and stronger than they actually were. Um, and Arya undergoes a, a reinvention as well when she becomes Ari, she becomes the little slave boy because she's, she, she's lost everything. She's lost her father. The Stark name is Mud. And she realizes that if she comes out as being a Stark, if the wrong people find out, she's, she's losing her head as well so um we'll stay with mr cousins uh rebirth in season one the um the the daenerys um ascension uh her character development is it's incredible isn't it yeah yeah it is it really is something i mean what, what you just said before um she's so timid at the beginning of the series and and so when you go back and watch episodes she looks so young as well um, she looks like a, a teenager, <laughs> and 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 so so sort of innocent. And the the brother is such is 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 such a bastard, isn't he? he is, um, he's uh, an towards her, he's an absolute wanker. And her sort of transformation from that to and she goes through. She could see she has a, a she has some periods of of what well, a, a number of rebirths. I think there's a, there's a there's some significant parts of her character you know along the story in probably every season where she goes through uh, um she she goes through something that sort of develops her character makes her stronger that initial one where she emerges with with the dragons it sort of gives her credibility doesn't it it, it enables her to 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 lead a, a dothraki army yeah uh, when 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 people see things like that that's when they turn into believers you know uh, most most have to see to believe I mean, you see someone who survived the burning building and emerges with dragons that have never existed for hundreds and thousands of years, then obviously you're thinking this is some sort of chosen one and I'm better off um, pledging my allegiance to this person. Um, and that happens a few times, I think, throughout, you know, e- even even the most recent season um, that happened before when, the, you know, when the... Um, uh, the, the the house but the building burnt down and, and and all the other sort of warriors burnt and she she survived the flames Every, everyone had, had by that point had sort of converged around around this building and, and and seen her emerge and survive and you know that's it they um they see it and they they believe it and yet as i said this happened a few times um throughout the show and this gives her more credibility it enables her to build build this army 
And what's incredible is sort of her, uh, to use a, an American term, her maturation throughout the, um, nice. <laughs> this season. You like that one, Connors? Yeah. I did. <laughs> Her maturation, um, the, the way she's able to, as you mentioned, you know, get the, um, the, 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 the warlord to sort of fall in love with her. Um, she started manipulates it. She starts to manipulate him really with, with, you know, with, with the sort of kindness and, and, and love and is able to then lead an army at such a young age. Um, it's fantastic. Really it is. It really is good. I, I'd, I'd love to read the book just to see the, the detail um, cause you know, I mean, you know, the author really goes into it or with, with, with the character development. I'd like to see sort of the step by step, um, sort of development of her. It, mu- it must be amazing because it, it's incredible in the show. So it, it, the book, it must be something else. Cause it, in the books, I think when that was one of the things I did get, everyone in the books is a bit younger. So I yep. think when you start off, isn't, isn't Daenerys about 14? Yes. She's very, very young. I'll just give you guys a piece of advice. I know you've already watched the show. Do yourself a favor and read them books. I don't care how long it takes you, but it's so worth it. You, you pick up details that you're just like, oh, okay, now this makes a lot more sense. Because you can only put much time, so much time into a, a one-hour TV show. You know, the, you get 20 episodes in two seasons. That's not really a lot. Yeah. No, no, I, I, I do want to go back, but instead of reading them, I'm probably going to end up getting audio books and either listening to them on the way to work and from work or while I'm actually in work. It just seems like the best way for me to absorb it. But I do want to, because as you say, the books are 99% of the time going to be better than the, the film or the TV show and all the granular detail that you just can't put into a 50-minute episode. You, you, you're going to soak up so much more. And hopefully going back and doing that will make me slash us you know, appreciate those characters on, you know, on different levels. Um, so anything you want to add about that, um, Connors? Yeah, I did want to talk about, I mean, Daenerys was covered really well by Cozzy. I do want to talk about Arya turning into Ari, though. I mean, that was such a brilliant piece. And again, it goes back to every character playing the game, Game of Thrones. She even played it there when she had to play the dumb girl, the serving girl. I mean, she was face-to-face with Tywin Lannister having conversations, and he had no idea who she was. That scene is Awesome. (laughs) Charles Dance should be in everything ever. I agree. He's (laughs) He's amazing, isn't he? He's fantastic. I mean, she just played that so well. And I think it was a, I mean, we can probably get into, you know, what's his face? Uh, Jaquen Hagar when he kills. I mean, the only person to finally figure her out was Sir Omri Lorch. And then he's about to give, he's about to tell Tywin. And then he literally gets killed with a poison wolfsbane dart and falls at the door. And then Tywin thinks somebody's there that was aimed at him. In reality, it actually he was supposed to, you know, it wasn't. So it was that, that was a really cool thing. And I wasn't sure because Arya Stark in the book is awesome, unlike her sister who is a well whiny little bitch. I can't stand Sansa, but Arya is really cool in the book, and they really put her on screen. She that's a great casting as well, just like Joffrey was. Yeah, yeah, she. The, the, it's strange that those in particular, it's strange seeing how much they have grown up because they even look younger. Because in the books, isn't Arya about 11, is she? Yeah, she's very, very young. Yeah, because it's, you know, they have all the, all the brothers and sisters. So that it's, they have to start at a very young age to tell this enormous story. Yeah. So that you can see why they did it, can't they? Because it would be very difficult for them to have an 11 year old girl 
doing that heavier storyline and and everyone asked me, but some of them they went a little bit too far, didn't they? Like John Snow, isn't John's about fourteen as well? John, yeah, John is. John's and, very- was, and John now looks like he was, he's about thirty-five or something with his massive beard and his big manly jaw. <laughs> yeah. You can see why they did it because the, the the way that the kids have developed. I mean, Maisie Williams as Arya, and I forget the kid that plays Bran in particular. Every year they they finish a season, and then nine months later they come back, and you're going, "What? What? What happened to you?" And you, I sort of forget how young they were when they first started, because you've just seen them grow over the last six years. But think how much you change in six years, and they've yeah. done it on screen while they've been at doing this incredibly hard, emotionally taxing storylines that Ferrari in particular where as we touched on earlier, she's lost everyone and everything. And then slowly the pieces maybe start coming back in and what she loses in family, she makes up in friends. But at the end of the day, she just wants her family back. And I would like to think at some point in the future, there is going to be some kind of a, of a, a trio stark child reunion where Arya, Sansa and John are going to be able to get back together and be like, Jesus Christ, where have you been? What has happened over the last few years? And I'm I'm sure we will get there, but she she's one of my favourites in there, Arya. She is just she's in the same way as Cersei. She she's got a level of tenacity that goes beyond her years. You ju- I just don't understand how she's managed to do that in an age when girls were all basically groomed for marriage, childbirth, and that was it. Wasn't you know a girl wasn't encouraged to be an individual. She was encouraged to be pretty dress nice, catch a nice man's eye and give him as many kids as he wants and keep a good home. Yet Arya wants to run around and sword fight and play in the mud and she wants to be the boys, doesn't she? She wants to be with John and Rob. She doesn't want to be with Sansa, knitting and wearing dresses and all kinds of crap. And Maisie Williams knocks it out of the park because she herself as an actress gives off that air. She doesn't look like a a typical dainty princessy type girl. So to me, anyway, I think it makes her quite relatable when she's in character. That That's the last major theme that I've picked up. Um, what we're going to do is we're just going to have a very quick break and then we'll be back in a second to just finish off season one. You're listening, You're listening to the Anfield Index Podcast Channel. The Anfield Index Podcast Channel. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. 
Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Okay, thanks for staying with us. Just before we draw a line on the season one, a couple of questions to, that I'm going to put to you both to finish this off. So uh, we'll go to Cousins first because you've already touched on this. Which house did you f- most like or admire when you were first watching the series, when you first really got into Game of Thrones? Who did you sort of feel yourself aligning to? Gotta be the Starks. Gotta be the Starks. Just, just from Sean Bean's character. Um, I like Sean Bean as an actor. And, um, I mean, you were saying earlier that he's, he, his face was all over, like the marketing and the, the, the promos and the trailers and everything. And probably why I sort of started watching it in, in the first place. And, um, but liked his character, uh, in the show. Um, this was fascinating with, you know, all the children, the, the dynamics of all of them. Um, it, it just the little adventures that the kids would go on, the, the wolves and finding them as puppies and, 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 and watching them sort of grow up. So just from that, like, um, quite a basic level. I really sort of took to him immediately. And then as Ned's journey to, um, to King's Landing and, you know, the, 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 the tragedy that they go through and what have you just sort of, um, brought me closer and closer to them. Um, I think his, Ned's nobility really is, 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 is the, the, the most powerful thing, um, which, um, which, which sort of, um, um, sort of uh, hooked me with with that family. There is a scene though that that I thought was fascinating as well, and it's when it's when the um when, when Jamie um realizes that Bran wasn't killed after he pushed him off the balcony, and obviously he then wanted to make sure that he finished the job. I thought the scene where I think they sent assassins. I can't remember who exactly that they sent to actually finish the job off. Bran's in the room, and I think all he's all he's got of him is his wolf. Um, that was a fascinating scene. I just thought I'd, I'd, I'd get that in there. But, um, that family is, is, is definitely, um, it, for me, they're still sort of the main, um, sort of thing that holds it all together. I'm not sure how it is in the book, but in the show, it definitely comes across like that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I completely agree. When I first watched it, I was the same. I was instantly drawn to the Starks. That, that word, nobility, that sums it up for me. All the other houses seem to have a little bit of a, a seedy undertone, but the Starks just seem like they really are head and shoulders above everyone else. Ned Stark's name and his honor is not brought into question. Even, which, even the relationship, nah, even the relation, even the relationship between Ned and his wife. Um, I can't think of any other married couple in the show who have that proper husband and wife relationship. <laughs> they actually look like they like each other, don't they? Exactly. Every other relationship looks like it's um, a relationship put together out of convenience. Might have been the case with 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 Ned and 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 the misses initially, but you can see that there's real respect and love there, and that sort of is probably why the children um, are you know are, are also noble, whereas your other houses is just you know, seedy from the outset, isn't it? Yeah, every other house seems to have an end game. The Starks seem to want to just be a family in Winterfell together. Everyone else wants to be, I want to be king, I want to be queen, I need this, I need that. They they do seem a very quaint family. But then towards the the, the latter half of the season, I did really sort of align more with the Targaryens because I did start thinking, well, hang on, 
a, a great disservice was done to, to them because they could have displaced um, the Mad King but kept Targaryen rule. Because I'm going to have to ask Connors to uh, correct me on this one, but I think for a time the Targaryens were quite a popular family. I think I think they were they were quite liked. They were. If, if not for King Aerys, the Mad King, that was their downfall. Just some of the odd behavior he started doing. And again, that's more in the book stuff. But um, and a lot of that's down to the inbreeding, isn't it? Because Targaryens yeah. didn't go outside the family that much. No, they did not. Yeah. Nope. And I'll answer that question too. If you, yes, I, go I, for I, it. I do agree with you guys about the Starks. That's who I most relate to and like. But I will say this about, and I don't like them. But I do admire the Lannisters to play the game and get what you want because they are damn good at that, aren't they? Absolutely, they are. Every every good story needs a good villain, and when you've got a family of villain, villains, when you've got half a dozen of them all with their own evil, bastardly strengths, and they all work very well together, and the the, the big thing that ties it all together is, of course, Tywin. Tywin is. An incredibly clever tactician. He knows marrying off Cersei to, to Robert, the way he keeps the, the bank in Bravos on side. And he knows how to keep everyone just happy enough that they need the Lannisters more than the Lannisters need them. And very, very clever. Uh, the, the next question's a little bit easier. I'm pretty sure I know what the answer's going to be for both of you. Uh, Connor's first this time. Favorite death scene? Uh, it was between two. It was between obviously um, when Viserys gets the golden crown, who got molten gold on his head. Yeah. But I had to go with. I, mean, I don't know how you cannot go with Ned Stark. I mean, that was such Ned dying. I should say. Um, just from I mean, it had so many aspects to it. From Joffrey's little weasel face, you know, just smiling as Ned's head. <laughs> Ned's head. <laughs> his head gets chopped off. And then his daughter's having to witness that, which is just the sorrow. It's got to be awful. But, yeah, I, that was easily my favorite death scene in season one. Yeah, and Cousins? I'd have to go I'd have to go the same. I mean, I, I, lo- I love the Viserys um, death scene. Uh, you, you could see it coming. It's just a matter of when. Um, but just the unpredictability of the Ned Stark. That chopping off of the head, I, I, it's one of the most shocking deaths I've seen, as, as I mentioned earlier. And, um, it's, yeah, it's, it's so tragic. The, the, the two daughters there witnessing it, although, um, Arya wasn't allowed to witness it. Um, she actually didn't, she didn't see it, but she was there in the crowd. Poor Sansa was there, you know, yeah, she had a front row seat. Um, they, they and, were very clever, weren't they, with Arya, the way she doesn't see it. But yeah. as the sword goes down, she sees a, a group of birds fly up in the air. Yeah. Quite a yeah. Ni- nice bit. I'm sure someone would say that that's some like high symbolism or something. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's fascinating. I mean, even, um, I mean, they, they go into slow motion on, and, and you see from Ned's point of view, he's, he looks at his daughter. And in that moment, you, you, you can see that he's, he's thinking to himself, you know, what, what have I got? What have I got myself and them into? Yeah. Um, it sort of all goes quiet. And then the sword drops. It is. It's a brilliant. It's a brilliant, brilliant scene. And the, the the scene is is only overtaken by um, the red wedding, which I think is the most powerful scene in the history of television. Um, Agreed. In in that season, that that's got to be um, the, my favorite they've seen. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I I thought it was going to be three votes for uh, for Viserys. I went for that just for the sheer comedy 
you, you get the the Dothraki seem to be so dry. They they clearly don't do irony. They don't do comedy. But my God, when somebody's just been asking you for a gold crown, you give him a gold crown. He didn't say it had to be cold or it had to be an actual crown. And it, it's the the look on his face when they drop him and he hits the floor with a clang because the metal's already <laughs> solidified on his head. That that is still one of my best death scenes I've ever seen in any TV show or movie. And Daenerys looking on. She she's had she's had enough of him. Yeah. yeah. And <laughs> And she's glad to see the back of him, isn't she? Because she realizes now she she started formulating her own plan about how she's gonna make the best of this situation. And That's now right. she can actually do that without a stupid brother cracking the whip. Yeah, yeah, when he's gone, she looks at it like, okay, opportunity. Yeah, exactly. When when one, what is it, when a door closes, a window opens or something. Yeah, so his, that, his, death, his death was required for her to, you know, to, to step up, as it were. To, absolutely. You know, she, she, she couldn't do anything in his shadow. Yeah. And the, the, the only thing to finish season one off with then, favourite overall character, for me, got to be Ned. I, you know what? I'll say this. In my favorite character in season one, uh, it was between Tyrion and Daenerys, but I, I'm a massive Tyrion fan. I just love the actor. I love the way he's poor. He's, he is exactly like he is in the book. He was my favorite, but I will say a close second, and I know she hasn't been introduced yet, but Brianna Tarth is such an awesome character. For obvious reasons, she's tough, she can fight. But one of the big things with that, which I love, I love a strong female character, but she doesn't have to look beautiful. And that's a huge part to me. She doesn't have to be the Wonder Woman, the Supergirl. She, you know, she looks like a man, fights like a man, and is proud of it. That's, but this season alone, I would, I would say just Tyrion. Yeah. Okay. Um, Cousins finishes off on season one. Um, I'd say, um, just, just season one, it would have to be Ned. I think Tyrion is my favorite character throughout all the series. And if you well, probably to maybe say, I don't know, first three seasons together combined, who's my favorite? I'd probably go for Tyrion. But just, just on its own, I think Ned, Ned for season one. Yeah, gotta be. So we're all agreed. Ned Stark wins at season one. And I know what you mean. Tyrion's brilliant. Peter Dinklage is perfect. I, I've only read articles stating how close he is to the books, but as, as Joey's just said then, He's supposed to be the the actual embodiment of the imp. Uh, it, you know, he's got all the mannerisms. He's got the the the, the guile. He's got the intellect. He's got the the people skills. He, he plays every game better than everyone else plays it, and they don't even realize that he's playing a game. People don't realize how well he is using them, and he flits between camps. He's a bit of a social butterfly as well, isn't he? He's, he starts off as a bastard Lannister, but then he sort of starts going off and he, you know, he goes and makes friend with the Night's Watch and then he, he falls in with all various different crowds and now he finds himself off with Daenerys, which you never would have seen six seasons previous when her family, uh, his family want her dead and her brother dead because they see them as a threat to the, the Lannister's vice-like grip on the throne. So that, that leads us semi-nicely into season two. I, I found this to be quite a, a simple season in terms of themes. One seemed to be so many different things layered one on top of the other things, wrapped in other things. Season two all seemed to be one word, war, because Robert's dead and now everyone's starting to get a little bit tetchy. Everyone's starting to sort of think, well, hang on. You know, I, 
I, I've got more claim to this. So you've got Renly claims that he should be. You've got Stannis claims that he should be. You've got Joffrey now instilled in the throne. You've then still got Daenerys stirring over the, over the sea, you know, saying that she's got the claim uh, to the throne. Then Renly gets killed by Stannis. Then Stannis is defeated and humiliated at the Blackwater, which visually was probably the best episode, easily the best episode of season two. And one of my favorite episodes of, of the show with the, the wildfire and the, the, just the way it looked with other huge green explosions and bodies being flown into the, into the bay. Then it, while that's happening more in the foreground, in the background, you've got Rob now declared king in the north. He's gathering a lot of supporters and he's getting a lot of people behind him. A lot of the, the stark sympathizers uh, are really putting their weight behind him because they don't want to live under a Lannister rule because they know what it's going to be like. They know it's going to be a tyrannical rule. They know it's just going to be just decades of oppression if the Lannisters can, can keep hold of it. Daenerys and she, she's now taken the Dothraki. She's reveling in her role as the Khaleesi and she's trying to get as many, as many of them to come with her as she can. But now she's going on the search for ships. Now in my notes, I, this is the exact way I wrote it. Theon, the backstabbing little shit torches Winterfell. <laughs> so he, he seemingly has been okay being a, a pawn for the, for the Starks. We, we said before about the nobility, what happened with Theon, you could say, was maybe a, 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 one of the few black marks against the Stark name of, of taking and keeping somebody else's kid like that. But he seemed so happy, he seemed complicit to be, you know, to, to be a part of the family and to be almost an honorary Stark. And he seemed like he was treated well. But that, of course, then makes his betrayal all the more hard-hitting. Then we start getting into the real, what we know is the real big bad in the background. You've got the Night Watch versus the Wildlings and the White Walkers versus everyone. And I think it's the, is it the last episode of season two where you, you finally see all the White Walkers coming through the snowstorm and Sam's just cowering on the floor in fear as they're all, all the, the White Walkers and the, what are the little dweeby White Walkers called? Oh, I can't remember. But they're little sort of pawns. They're all going past them, all limbs hanging off them, and they're just like exposed rib cages, and they're all weathered and battered. And that's when you see, isn't it? This, this is what everyone's afraid of. This is why everyone is shitting it about any any problems with the wall. So easiest thing to do with this now is we'll we'll just have to cover season two as as a whole in its entirety. So uh, we'll go for Connors first this time. I, I pretty much, I think you, the war thing is what you, you hit right on the head. It's essentially just the, I mean, the, the whole first few episodes are like the Starks and the Lannisters just declaring war on each other. Um, and that's when you start to see, and it's a shame because Rob was really building into a decent character until, you know, he made some, you know, he, he made some dumb decisions like, uh, the Walter Frey, not marrying a Frey girl, yeah. which ultimately led to his demise, um, which was stupid on his part. Uh, you see Arya, um, at the end of season two, really wants to go to Bravos, gets the Bravian, how would it Bravios or Bravio, however you call them people, the coin. So she can get over there from the man I can have trouble pronouncing his name. Jack That guy. Yeah. Love I mean, that's, yeah, he's a, he, he kills three people for her. You know, he kills the tickler, Sir Omri. And then when she asked him, I want you to kill yourself, that's how, again, playing the game. He says he won't do it. So he agrees to, 
um, essentially get her released out of there by killing the guards. So there's there's a lot going on this season, but basically what you said, it's the war. I'm trying to think of Khaled Drogo's death and Daenerys really coming to her own. I believe this season is um, where her dragons get uh, captured, correct? I believe that's what happens yes. by, by the warlock Pirate Pre. Yeah, he uh, – and then you know he's essentially like, okay, I have them. I'm telling you I have them. Now come and get them. And she goes and gets them all right and then yep. steals his money and locks his ass in his own vault. So <laughs> – it's a really cool episode. You did touch on the Blackwater episode, and that, that's obviously I said that earlier. That um, George R. R. Martin did write that episode because he wanted to make sure it was it was dead on, and that and was it awesome. Was. It, it, it was it was perfect. absolutely outstanding. What episode was really that? Uh, sorry, what, uh, the, what, the what, Battle what? of the Blackwater. Battle, yeah. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. The second before the last, it was just excellent. I mean, everything about it was perfect. Um, it was also cool when they when they when you met Mance Raider. You met Mance Raider in the seat, the episode before um, Blackwater, the Prince of Winterfell. That was really good. I mean, you see John. John gets caught by the by the wildlings. You see Ygritte. You're introduced to Ygritte, who is beautiful, by the way, fellow redhead. And she's given um, the world one of the greatest and most quotable lines ever uttered <laughs> in a really really dodgy Yorkshire accent. <laughs> See, I don't, I don't know the accents. All those accents are funny to me. But, yeah. <laughs> That's racist. Yes, I guess that would be. But I'm sure you guys are laughing at me as I'm talking. But yeah, you know nothing. Jon Snow is just a, it's just a great one. <laughs> even, so even yeah. my girlfriend Michelle says that, and she's never, she's watched one episode of Game of Thrones, and even she loves saying, "You know nothing, Jon Snow." So you know, <laughs> it, it transcends TV boundaries. Yeah, I, I thought it was a really good follow up to season one. I mean, it's had a it, well. It didn't have all the good episodes, I don't think, or, or as many, I should say. But it introduced some people that are really important. Obviously, the wildlings are, or the White Walkers, and the wildlings are hugely important. Um, yeah, I thought it was good. Thought it was real good. You you mentioned something there that I one thing that I really love about the way they do the episodes. The cliffhanger is always episode nine, and then they just gradually taper off the end of the season in episode ten. They don't do the cliche thing of build up for nine episodes, have a cliffhanger at episode 10, and then you've got nine months to wait to see what happens. And I love the fact they give you just a little bit of, a little bit of closure, a little bit of peace of mind. So they'll, they'll be like the Battle of the Blackwater, and then they'll, you'll see what happens afterwards. So you're not sat there for nine months on Tentahooks going, what happened? Who's dead? <laughs> and I, I love that. It just, it, just it, it, it defies convention to, to do that, because what you're supposed to do is what The Walking Dead does. You know, something happens at the end, and they're like, right, we'll see you in, what, seven, eight, nine months? You can just sit there and <laughs> stew in your own juices. <laughs> and you can see why they do it, because it makes sure that people come back. So uh, if we if we switch over to uh, Monsieur Cousins, season two and war. Um, I, I Season two, um, what really, I, I think I think Rob's... Um, Sort of his his gathering of support, his you know ascension to being king of the north, um, and you know the other families such as the Lannister for, Lannisters, for example, being worried by this um, this new sort of force in the north, um, the, the 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 wolf banner. Everything about that really resonated with me, and as I mentioned earlier, it was it was the revenge mission I was hoping for, for the sort of the, the, the ending of, uh, of, of Ned Stark. I thought that was going to, I thought season two was going to be pretty much the, the revenge mission. 
And um, it was going in that direction. Um, season three had other ideas, <laughs> but um, that sort of resonate, resonated with, with, with me the most. Um, for me, I was getting a bit impatient with, um, with, with Daenerys' journey. Um, because I didn't quite see where it was going. I mean, obviously, you know, we we knew what what sort of her end game was, but um, there seemed to be so many different, I don't know, so many different sort of things happening with with, with her character where you you could just tell it was going to be a really, really long game, a long, long time before she got anywhere near King's Landing. So sometimes her scenes would come and I'd be, you know, I'd watch and it'd be interesting, but I would wait in t- for it to sort of go back to Rob Stark and, 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 and watch that scene. Cause as I said, the revenge is what was sort of most prominent in my mind, but, um, it was a really good, really good season. Um, the white Walker bit at, at, towards the end, um, was fascinating. Um, just to sort of go back to the very beginning, I think the first scene of the, of the show is a white Walker, isn't it? Like the very, very first scene of episode one. Yeah, yeah um, he's got, a White Walker. You've got two of the two of the Night's Watch Rangers are uh, running through the forest away from something. Yeah, they don't really know what. Yeah, um, and it gives it, it sort of it lets you know if you've not read the book, it lets you know that it's not this is not just some you know everyday medieval um, TV show. Is that there's actually some fantasy and some horror and some a bit of science fiction in there as well. And um, that's what Game of Thrones does, really. It combines a, a number of genres together and gives you what it is, which I think is why it's such a, a powerful and, and, um, and popular show. But, um, yeah, season two, all about war, all about, you know, um, Robert's death. It, you know, it sort of opens up this opportunity. Everyone thinks they've got the rightful um, claim to it. And as a result, you just get so much backstabbing, so much double crossing. So, <laughs> you know, there's no allegiance to anything. The only thing that seems to be noble is, is sort of, is, is Rob's, um, quest to, um, to sort of, to, to topple the, um, the Lannisters and, 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 and sort of a, a rule. Um, the Theon thing, I, I saw it really as, as it being more of a him trying to, um, just want his, win his father's approval, really. Um, but he doesn't, his, his character is quite weak. So it didn't take a lot for his, his, his father to sort of change his mind because he went, he went there with, with, with sort of full, full intent, um, to help the Starks to sort of, to, to be with, to, to be with them, isn't it? To actually get help uh, from his father. But his mind was, it was changed pretty quickly that, you know, that's, that work, that wasn't going to be the case. And, um, yeah, he didn't take much for him to, um, to, to back, to backstab them. Um, and just to touch on, on, on something else, sort of drifting from the point a little bit, when we talk about the Starks and we talk about how noble they are, there is an element to it that is not so noble, and it's the treatment of Jon Snow as a bastard child, um, sitting away from the table at dinner time and that sort of thing. Um, that became apparent in season six when, um, I, th- I can't remember who he was talking to, but he, you know, I think it was actually, yeah, when, when they actually reclaimed Winterfell. And um, I think he was was talking about you know never eating at the family table and that sort of thing. So that to me sort of is a is slight contradiction to their nobility. Um, but you know, uh, it, it, it's just one of the one of those things that sort of I think gives gives it more depth, really. Yeah, and it, it, as we've said, it, not just the family's nobility, but in particular Ned. Ned is seen as being the 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 bulletproof. You know, he is the ultimate man of honor. 
yet he went away and he's come back with a you know he's, he's fathered a child with someone else and it, it's the, the, there's an element of, of unfinished business isn't it you know he wanted to sit down and and tell John what had happened and it's a shame that they couldn't have found some way yeah but it, it, as you said before there are there are no happy endings you've got to accept with this show there are always going to be loose endings there are always going to be characters who don't get the closure that they want or deserve but it's a shame that Ned couldn't have say written a letter you know if 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 George R. R. Martin was a bit sappy he would have written a letter wouldn't he that was written to John and defined it when they're cleaning out Ned's personal effects and it explains even if it doesn't go into you know the the Targaryen links and what have you even if it just said you know you're not actually a bastard child you're actually my sister's child I had to look after you because she died in childbirth and she didn't want you to go into an orphanage or something like that just so we knew yeah. Why? And just so, even so, Catelyn would have realised, oh my God, I've been horrible to this kid all this time and I didn't really need to be. Yeah. But it's never going to happen. It, nah. It's taken six years to get to the, the, the point where people now know what the deal with John is and now we'll sort of understand why he's had to endure the hardships that he's had to and why he never really had a mother's love and. He, he's always he's been shunned everywhere, hasn't he? No matter what he's done, no matter what good he's accomplished, he's never been able to to do it under the Stark banner. He's always had to do it under the the Snow banner and yeah. his Lord Commander and what have you. So it's a shame we can't go into season three because season one was a peak for me, and I, I thought season two dropped a little bit, but it was always yeah, going to because season one was so good and it brought so much in, so much stuff happening all at once. But then season three started to climb up again and it started getting very, very intricate, very intricate. But one thing we certainly can do to, to finish season two, um, favourite characters. So if we go to Connors first on this one. Uh, I'd say Arya Stark for me. I, I was watching it the whole time, just kind of waiting for her journey going, when's she coming on next episode? When's she coming on? And I love the way it, it finished. I thought that was a great finish to season two. Um, Arya How Stark. Did season two finish. Season two was the Valar Morgaris. Oh uh, yes, of course. When, yeah. yeah, when when he gave her the coin, uh, and you knew from there, like that. That's the thing which you didn't know, like where does Arya go from there? She finally got away from the Lannisters, and then she was kind of at a crossroads, going, "Well, I think all my family's dead, so I'm kind of by myself now." Jen's in the at the wall. Uh, you know, as far as she knows, she knows her dad's dead. She has no idea about her mother, no idea about her sister or her other brothers, Bran and Rickon. So she ends up, you know, obviously she ends up going to Bravos, but at that point, she had no idea what she wanted to do, and I thought that was the perfect ending for that. Yeah, and it, it, that sort of harks back again another rebirth. You know, she's she's gone from Arya, she's become Arya, and then she get she gets the chance to reemerge again as as Arya again. But as you say, she she doesn't know. For all she knows, she's the last one. Her entire family's been wiped out. So she's now got to, at such a young age, she's now got to put herself first and think, right, same same as Daenerys, what can I do to make the best out of this god-awful situation? And then she starts writing a list, doesn't she, of everyone who's, who's wronged her and everyone who you know is going to get it in the neck, some of them quite literally. Oh, yeah, she... And listen, she just says it before bedtime every yeah. single. It's awesome. Which is haunting. I mean, that's quite creepy for a kid of that that age 
to go to bed every night reciting the names of people that she, not that she wants dead, that she wants to kill herself. It's pretty fucking creepy. It's brilliant. It is. It is. I think, <laughs> but I think, it works because yeah. she's got the baby face. It seems so unsinister when she's talking about six or seven people that she would bludgeon in their sleep and not even bat an eyelash about it. If we, uh, just to wrap this up quite neatly, if we go over to Mr. Cousins one last time, your favourite character from season two? I think I'd have to go with um, Tyrion, season two. He's, um, he's, he's fantastic. Um, some of his, his, his treatment of, um, <laughs> of Joffrey is hilarious. The slaps to the face. Um, he really took a, a, a sort of, and it, it's a season two where he's made, where he's made King's Air, isn't it? Uh, the, the King's Hand, sorry. Um, and he really sort of comes into his own in, in that role. Um, I loved his, um, I loved his contribution to, um, when they're at war. Um, before Tyrion comes and saves the day, that's season two, right? I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm not, um, I'm no, not no, getting that, my seasons mixed up. That's the Battle of the Blackwater. Yeah, 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 yeah. And um, although he didn't get any credit for it, and I thought that was so out of order, because um, if it wasn't for him, I, they, they would have got crushed. Really, it was looking like it would have been too late for um, for, for for Tywin to come to save the day. But um, yeah, he re- his character really started to sort of. Um, um, developed really well in, in in season two, and um, yeah, I, I I really liked him. I mean, Rob as well. I mentioned it um, several times. His his mission, um, I really res- really resonated with me. Um, Arya as well as as Connor's mentioned was brilliant that season, and also Caitlin. I thought Caitlin was really was 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 really good, really good in that season as well. But I think yeah, Tyrion takes it for me. He um yeah he 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 takes the crown as as best character. I've had to go for a three-way tie on this one. Arya, as we've already said, faultless in every episode. Tywin, again, Tywin's just... The way he's directing his troops and the way he's directing his children, there's almost no no difference in the way he's doing it. Everything is so clinical and methodical. He's planning ten steps ahead of everyone and nobody knows what his endgame is. But in his head, he knows exactly what's going to happen because he can read people and he knows how they're going to react to what he does. And the third one, Jack and Hakar, again, he's just a fascinating character. The way he speaks, the way he's so mysterious, and you don't really know anything about him. He, he didn't really do a lot, did he, in the grand scheme of things, but what he did in the way he sets up Arya, I mean, what he does in season two sets up Arya for the next three seasons or four seasons, really, and he's always there in the background. And if I had to pick one, I'd probably say Tywin. Uh, as I mentioned before, I love Charles Dance. He is absolutely brilliant, and his scenes with Arya were incredible. The bits where they're at, it's Har- is it Harren Hall where they are? Yeah, it's Harren Hall. When, yep. when he, he's sort of probing her, isn't he? He's sort of, he knows that she isn't who she says she is because he knows that she's been brought up well. Yeah, it, well, it, it's something. That's isn't it, where he, he, he says, "My lord," or she says, "My lord," or something. Yeah, she says, "She says, my lord," instead of "my lord." Yeah, and um, he knows that that means that she comes from nobility. But whenever he says something, she's got an answer like that, quick as quick as a flash. She's able to put him off the scent, and he's always sort of side eyeing her, isn't he? But he clearly doesn't know that she's a Stark kid. And nice little dance that they do between them. Arguably, two of the cleverest characters. One, the ultimate patriarch, and one, a downtrodden, 
at, at this point, she's basically an orphan as far as she knows, who's got, hasn't got a friend in the world and she's having to learn very much what life is like outside of, you know, the Stark house, outside of Winterfell and learning all these lessons that she was never pre- prepared for because how could you prepare someone for for what she's gone through in the space of 10 episodes. As I mentioned before, it's a shame we can't move on to series three because we, I think we have to, we have to wrap up there. We've, we've gone a little bit over. I want to say a little bit. I mean, we've gone way over what I expected <laughs> to do. So it's a good job Gags wasn't on. Otherwise, I think we'd still be doing season one now. <laughs> she is, Arya is, is the most impressive character in the entire show, though, isn't she? How old is she when, um, when it all kicks off and, and, and starts to go wrong and, and for her. Eleven was it was it? Was in the age? in the books she's the eleven, book, twelve. She's in the show she's probably supposed 14. to be what, fourteen, fifteen? Yeah. Yeah. So she's still a kid, isn't she? She's by no means she's not got the, the street smarts that Rob and John have got because obviously they're boys, they were brought up to be hardened and to fight their way through the life. She was she was always being told you know, do what Sansa does, be beautiful, get a husband and all that crap. Yeah. And yeah, she is. And and Maisie Williams as well seems like such a likable girl. Most of the cast do, in fairness. They all seem like the kind of people that you would just love to just meet somewhere and go and have a drink with them and just chat shit. And I, I, I love her to pieces. I think she's brilliant. She's absolutely brilliant. So if we, uh, if we leave it there, um, huge thank you to both of you for coming on for this, this little relaunch. Uh, one at a time start with uh, Mr Joseph Cousins is there anything that you're working on anything you need to whore out or promote <laughs> um, I th- I'm on the um, AI pod uh, recording tomorrow so that probably might um, should come out the following day so maybe Tuesday or maybe Monday night not sure um, that's with Marco uh, hosting um, I can't remember who, who the other guest is going to be I'm not sure but yeah so that would be good to sort of talk about the Arsenal game <laughs> And um, about, you know, g- generally um, what the season looks like and that sort of thing. So that should be fun. That should be fun. And it's always good being on a pod with Marco because he's organised. Exactly. And, and he makes it really, really easy. And he makes the rest of us look like dicks. <laughs> you, should see, you should see the agenda he sent me. Bloody oh, hell. I can imagine. I'm sure it's in <laughs> chapters. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Um, Mr. Joseph Connors, anything that you want to promote or pimp out? Uh, I wrote three AI comic pod articles and I'm working on a fourth. So if people want to read them, give me feedback. That'd be great. Please do go and read them. Please. They're, on, they're hosted on uh, aicomicpod.co.uk. Uh, and as, as Joey said, please give us feedback. He, he's always looking for inspiration on what you want to do, whether it's a versus or a background story or just a, a character profile or, I don't know, a character assassination of someone that you're not especially fond of. He's got a lot of time. He's got a, what? What's parking out? He's two two months, is he? Not quite. He's about a month and uh, about a month and a week, month and two weeks. Okay. Yeah. So he's got not a, a very, sleep. very newly born uh, baby who is keeping him up at all hours. So suddenly has found himself with huge amounts of time to do writing for us. <laughs> <laughs> so please, you, you can find those articles, as I said, on our website, on our Facebook page, which is uh, facebook.com slash AIComicPod. I'm not working on anything else at the minute other than the comic pod. We'll be having another, I think, another week out because Rory's deserted me, the big dick. He's abandoned me to go on holiday with his family. <laughs> um, and when he comes back, we, we've always got tons of stuff in the works. The, we'll be doing a review of Suicide Squad 
in the next couple of weeks. Um, saw that recently. That yes, I saw it on Thursday. And uh, what you're going to see now that the way Gags is trying to restructure things with the comic pod and on the box and I think movie night and one up the gaming pod are all going to be sort of overlapping a little bit more now under the the entertainment banner. Because there's a lot of go between, you know, in those areas. Comic and TV and films all, you know, one hand washes the other, doesn't it? Um, we, we've got tons of stuff coming up. Uh, we're going to, hopefully, if we can get Marco on, because he's busy now, because he's been the main host of the AI pod, we want to do uh, the rest of The Walking Dead seasons four to six. A brilliant one that was suggested uh, was top three superpowers that you'd like to have. So we're going to try and have a debate pod on that. We've got sidekicks, guilty pleasures. Joey and I are going to do the DC Rebirth. When I fucking read the comics, I've got a stack now. I've got like 25 comics sitting in front of me that I haven't read. But I'm going to read them, and then we're going to do a pod to talk about the DC Rebirth stuff. <laughs> and and from, the, from an on-the-box point of view, thank you to anyone that's listened. As I said before, a bit of a relaunch, but we want to keep the, keep the flow very much going. If you've got any suggestions of any TV shows you'd like us to review, please catch us uh, on Twitter. It's at On The Box Podcast, and I will try and get back to you as soon as I can. We'll catch you again. Thanks for listening. powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com